Turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And while you are turning there, let me just tell you what a privilege it is to be here this morning uh, sharing with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and before I do any of that, I guess I got to get my computer open so that I can see what I'm actually going to talk about today. Um, but uh, we're so grateful to be here this morning and uh, glad that God has brought us to this place at this time. I, I want to I just uh, introduce myself first. First of all, you know, I am not Pastor Ben. Um, and it, it dawns on me that each week, every, every week since Pastor Ben has left, uh, the people who stood up here have looked more different each week because Pastor Ben's blonde-haired and blue-eyed and then we had Brian, who was white guy, but gray hair, uh, a little older. And then we had Oscar, who was uh, still white, but gray hair, a little bit thicker around the middle, um, and a little browner, though, a little browner. And now we got me, who's still thick around the middle, a little browner. I don't know what y'all going to get next week. I don't know what it's going to be like. You got to come back to stay tuned. So it's going to be crazy. But I want to say thank God for uh, Pastor Ben, who... Uh, won't, you, won't we thank God for our pastor? Um, if, you are, if you are new with us, uh, you, you may not know, but he's on sabbatical right now. He is getting the much-needed rest he needs to be able to serve us with the most effectiveness that God would have him to do it with, and he and his family are such a blessing to us, so we thank God for him. Uh, likewise, I want to say thank God for the elders who are here keeping the ship aright while he's there, and also, uh, and, the, uh, and, the, and, the, and the pastoral interns and the assistant pastors, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're great, uh, God has been gracious to us, rather, to uh, provide us with the leaders to, to do the work of the kingdom, and we get to do that together, so I'm grateful for that. Um, praise the Lord for that. Uh, we praise God for all of that. Uh, let's read the text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We're reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Girl, you, you know you're encouraging. <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Church, for a few minutes, I want to talk to you from the thought how to get away with living, how to get away with living. Now, the other day, I, I walked through my house. I'm telling you where the title here comes from. I walked through my house and the television was on and most of my family is watching the television show. And the name of the show that they were watching was How to Get Away with Murder. Somebody know that. I heard you, heard you out there. How to Get Away with Murder. And it's not so much the show that I want to talk about this morning, but, but how intriguing is that title? How, how intriguing that title is. How to Get Away with Murder. Um, because who really wants to get away with murder? At least you would think that no one would want to get away with murder because it's such a heinous activity. But then it turns out in our world that a great many people might want to get away 
with murder. People get so frustrated at each other that they believe that the only way to solve their perceived problem is to put others to death. Uh, Just the other day, a young man walked into the grocery store and killed, murdered 10 people. And this is reminiscent of another young man who walked into a church Bible study only a few years earlier and did the same thing. And then just yesterday in San Bernardino, California, another person shoots his way in the community and several are injured and one is killed. And that's not to count the countless number of school shootings that we've seen. What happens in people that are so, that that cause them to be so frustrated, so broken, so angry, that they determine that the answer is to end someone's life? The truth of the matter is, it's not just men like that who murder physically. That is a challenge. You and, my, you and I, we may not ever pick up a murder tool, and prayerfully not, uh, and we may not ever approach someone to end their life, but, but you and I, can we, we can be just as guilty, for example, of, of murdering, say, a friendship, of murdering a marriage relationship, of murdering an employment relationship. Jesus said it like this, just in case you think I'm just making it up. If you are angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. Jesus sets the bar pretty high. But it is likely that at some point, every one of us has experienced an unrighteous form of anger with someone else at some point. And Paul understood this with the church of Ephesus. He understood that maintaining relationships, and particularly for those of us who are Christian, maintaining relationships in a godly way has an extremely sometimes high degree of difficulty. That's what Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians. He understands that maintaining relationships has an extremely high degree of difficulty. Now, if if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, you know that we've been in the book of Ephesians in a series entitled On Being the Church. And Paul, in the first three chapters, he took the time to establish for the Ephesian church and the churches in that area what God has done for them and who they actually were in Christ. In fact, in a celebratory fashion, he blessed God because God had given the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 3, access to every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and actually seated them in those heavenly places next to those spiritual blessings in chapter 2, verse 6, so that now they were no longer dead as individuals or alienated as people. Instead, they were now equal heirs with the Jewish people. They have peace with God and they have now access to God the Father through Jesus Christ because... They're now members of his own household. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. And because they are members of God's own household, in chapters 4, verses 1 through chapter 5, verse 20, he told them how they ought to live based on who they were. Hence, we're learning today how we ought to live based on who we are as believers. He said things like this. He says, since you are now alive and part of the heritage of God, you need to first, in in chapter 4, he starts them off in verse 3. He says, you need to endeavor to be unified, Ephesians 4.3. He says, you need to speak the truth in love and become mature in Christ, Ephesians 4 and 15. He said, you need to put on the new you, Ephesians 4 and 17 through 24. He says, you need not to be angry, as we just understood what anger is. We, we, you need not to be angry in Ephesians 4, verse 26. He says, don't steal from one another in Ephesians 4, 28. He says, speak the words that build people up and not tear people down in Ephesians 4 and 29. He says, don't disappoint the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4, 30. Put bitterness and wrath away from you in Ephesians 4 and 31. And then he said, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you in Ephesians 4 and 32. He continues on. He says, he goes on in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, you all imitate God 
by loving like God. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, walk as children of light, being sexually pure, be wise, be sober, and encourage one another, all in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 20. Finally saying to them that each of us, all of us, must submit to one another, each out of the highest regard, not even for one another, but for Jesus Christ. He said all of those things because he knew that living out godly relationships has an overwhelmingly high degree of difficulty and you're likely to commit relational damage if you don't live it out well. So he begins to say, not only this is how you should live, but after verse 21, he begins to specifically say, with whom you should live these things out. That's why in, in the new series that we started, though we're still in the book of Ephesians, we're in a slightly new series here. That's why in the new series that Pastor Brian started off, off, us off saying that husbands and wives need to live this out. Let me shout out Pastor Brian as we continue to pray for him at, as Oak City Church is getting underway. Uh, Pastor Brian started us off in a couple of weeks ago with that, that husbands and wives sometimes can have trouble living these things out. Elder Oscar said children and parents and masters and slaves need to live those things out, not to please ourselves, as, as Elder Oscar let us know last week, but so that we might do this as unto the Lord. Paul knew that in relating to one another, we get frustrated with one another, so much so that we start dividing over things, that we get angry with one another, and that we disrespect each other, we dishonor each other, and we strip one another of dignity from time to time, even in the church. He had to say this to these Gentile believers because they were now in the family with these Jewish believers. And certainly, you know, he was saying the same thing to the Jewish believers because they were in the family with these Gentile believers. And sometimes, even in the body of Christ, relational murder can take place. And when you do those things, when you don't live well relationally, husbands and wives then divorce or have contentious, contentious marriages. No judgment there. It's just the reality of what happens with relationships. Children and parents get bitter toward one another. Co-workers, bosses, and subordinates get frustrated and mistreat each other. These are the relationships that Paul was dealing with. But not only that, he could have gone on, and we recognize that citizens dishonor governing authorities. Governing authorities mistreat citizens. People violate the rights of others, and so on and so forth, etc., etc., etc. It can always happen. And Paul, knowing the high degree of difficulty of living well toward one another, comes to chapter 6 and teaches the churches so that they don't commit relational murder, but now he teaches them and the churches in that, that area how then do we get away since God has called us to all of those things and it's a very difficult task sometimes. How do we get away, friends, with living in relationships? How do we get away with them in a joyful manner, not begrudgingly? That is, how do we endeavor in unity, like he said in Ephesians 4.3? How do we grow in maturity in Christ together? How do we not be angry with one another when there are things to be angry about? How, how do children and parents and bosses and subordinates, uh, how are they able to relate well? And, and, and in order to do this, Paul does something slightly different that you readily don't always see in the New Testament. He, he takes them to a whole new realm. He takes them to a whole new realm, church. They're not used to this as much. These things are not, he takes them through the spiritual realm. And these things are not done because you can do them well in the physical realm. But if you're going to have God-pleasing relationships with spouses, with children, with workers, with bosses, the key, Paul says, is to move in the spirit. And in the spirit, 
Paul gives them three principles to live by. He says, draw your strength from the Lord. He says, dress like the Lord and drench it in prayer. So, So drawing your strength from the Lord. Paul says, if you're going to live out relationships that are pleasing to God, with others who are in close proximity to you, because this is what Ephesians was about. If you're going to live that out, church, he says, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He says, be strong in the Lord. Interestingly enough, when Paul says be strong, he uses it in a passive sense. That is, in their language, they would have known that what he was saying, with what he was saying, when he said, be strong, he actually didn't even have to say in the Lord. Why? Because the passive word, when a passive word is used, it means that the action is being done to you. The action is being done to you. So Paul is not saying, go run and try and do all of these things I just told you to do. He's saying you need to go do those things, but you have to be empowered by strength to do it. You have to receive strength to do it. That's how we learn to treat people well. That's how we learn to have good relationships. You have to receive that. However, Paul was intentional. Now, he did know know that, that, that he was talking to the Ephesians, though. He also recognized that, that the, the place at Ephesus, he knew where he was, that he was in Ephesus, a place that the, the whole world was coming to Ephesus, the, one of the most major cities of the world at that time. But it was a place also where gods were prevalent, gods, plural, and where the great goddess Artemis, who was considered the supplier of all things, resided. That was the home of Artemis. Diana, other people call her. And Artemis was the goddess of what they would say was many breasts. She was a goddess of fertility. That is, you can get what you need from this goddess of fertility. Uh, Similar to, by the way, our god, El Shaddai, who is the god God of all sufficiency. Uh, some, some, Some scholars say the god who has many breasts, the God who has, is, a, is a supplier. And so Paul needed to make sure you understood you need to be empowered, you need to receive strength if you're going to do these relationships right, but you don't need to receive them from the gods around you, and you don't need to receive them from Artemis, you need to receive them from the Lord. That's what Paul was saying here. He says, he says you need to receive that power to bear yourself in in good relationship from the Lord. Praise God that we have a God who would help us in relationships. Anybody glad about that today? uh, Anybody anybody glad about that? I'm glad about it. Look, my wife made me wear this suit. I I know I broke the code. I know I broke the code. But but, um, you know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you what's real. I'm just telling you our relationship right here. If I didn't wear this suit, it probably was going to be something. I'm just trying to say I love you too, sweetheart. I'm just trying to tell you what's going on in my, my place, you know. And, uh, and every now and then, relationships can get pretty tense around you, wherever your relationships, your, your close relationships are. Paul says, though, if you're going to experience strength, though, you got to get that not from the other places, but from the Lord. And he said it to the church at Ephesus, but it bears repeating to us today that you and I would likely strengthen ourselves thinking, uh, thinking that we ourselves are good enough to carry out good relationship, godly relationships. We ourselves can fix the problems that we have our own, with our own relationships. But the truth of the matter is God would want us to come to him yeah. and be empowered yeah. to fix the problems in your life in those relationships. Paul knew that the church's Ephesus, that Ephesus had Artemis that they could look to. Paul spent more time with the church at Ephesus than anybody. He, he spent three years there in the synagogues with the Jewish people and in the marketplace with the Gentiles. And he understood the, the, the very, very difficult task. Uh, we were just talking about this with our guest who, who was talking about the, the very difficult task when they're in China. In some places, you got people from everywhere, and they, and and they happen to be all in the same room together and not disagreeing. We still are working with that here in the United States of America. 
We're working with a yes in our families, but the church is working with it. By the way, that, that being said, I just want to say thank you, God, for a church that looks different every now and then when you look around. And I'm trying to tell you, this is not normal. It's not normal to look and see a church that still has kids and elderly people as well at the same time, that still has dark people and light people at the same time. It's not normal, even today in 2022 in the United States of America. And so when we get here and we, and we come to these places, when you do get people together from time to time, relationships can be fractured. And if they're not fractured now, by the way, just keep living. That's how life is. And Paul knew this with the Ephesian church because there was no specific problem that we could see uh, clearly. But Paul, apparently in his prison uh, cell, he, he felt something. And so he wrote these things to him, him. And the last time I preached, you may not remember, but I talked to you about the book of Revelation, that whatever Paul felt must have come to fruition. Because, but because Jesus was upset with the church at Ephesus by the time 40 years later rolled around, and they somehow were not loving all the saints. It wasn't Jesus that they weren't loving. It was somehow not loving all the saints. The other day, I had a conversation um, with a man who, who said he used to be a Christian. But now he claims Islam as his devotion. And as we talked, I found, I found that even as a, as a Muslim, he, he had some competing religious claims. In fact, he apparently was not stabilized in Islam because what he said to me, he says, you know, I ultimately, he said, you know, ultimately, I don't know. He says, all I know is that wherever he is, and he was trying to identify God, whoever the true God is for him. He said, wherever he is, I just want to be with him when it's all over. What a prayer, what a desire from this person who was in a place where he was, but somehow left where he was and went somewhere else. I know there are arguments with whether Muslims and Christians believe in the same God. We certainly don't believe in the same way, and I think it matters a great deal. And here, this gentleman left the one true God. And here's what I'm declaring to you today. I simply declare to you that if you want to be with him on that day, the path is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I'm also saying, if you aim to free yourself from the frustrations of people along the way, if you're aiming to do that, you need to draw your strength from the Lord. That's what Paul said to the church. Draw your strength from the Lord. But how, by the way, how do you be strong? And that's the question you might ask. That's the question I would want to know. Um, and the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 27, 14. He says it like this. He says, wait on the Lord. And be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. And then David added, added he said, wait, I say, on the Lord. He emphasized we need to be waiting on the Lord. If we're going to be strengthened and not try and live in our own strength with the relationships that we have around. Wait on the Lord. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. Isaiah says, you know, he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Any relationships ever got you weak sometimes? You just can't, you just can't do it anymore. You just can't. You just can't. You ever say, I just can't. And, 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 and Isaiah says, but he gives strength to the weary and he increases power to the weak. Even young people, he said, grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on eagles' wings. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Here's the point. You will be empowered by the Lord by waiting on the Lord. You won't be able to do this in your own strength, but as you're around the, the close relationships that you have, and when they tend to get really difficult, you're going to need the Lord. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the word wait in both those instances have a root 
that actually means to bind together or to twist together. It means that you have to order your life in such a way that you twist your life up with God. The old folks used to say, I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up with Jesus. Huh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and so, so you and I need to learn how to twist our lives in with God's, like you twist hair, like you twist a rope until it becomes strong. We need to twist our lives in God. We need to open up the word and listen for God's guidance, entangle ourselves with the community of God, concern yourselves with the things of God, and then don't move until God moves. God said it before Ludacris did. When I, you, when I move, you move just like that. God said it first. And, and we need to, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm telling you something, you know, I think one of the, the, the challenges here about this, this message for me, as I was, as I was looking at it, I thought to myself, you know, while I have, sometimes I know you guys expect when we preach these things, we should have done these things, right? And sometimes when we're preparing for these things, we recognize, oh my God, I'm not living like this. I mean, I'm just, we're just convicted by the Spirit because the Word of God checks me too. Yeah. And I have to tell you, sometimes I don't want to wait for God, especially when dealing with relationship. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm, I'm struggling now. You make me mad, I might say something to you. That's just where I am in my life. Yet God has some things that I should be saying. Yeah. By God's grace, I'm, not, I'm probably not, at least I have not yet, don't test me, been the person that, <laughs> that has yet cussed anybody out. I don't think I've ever done that in my life, uh, but don't test me. Don't push me, uh, and, 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 and I won't push you either. We, we're going to walk together as believers in the faith, right? But you have those moments with your own family. You have those moments with your boss. You have those moments in, in spaces where you and I as believers don't want to wait on God, and we will want to open our mouth quicker, or we will want to move and say, if, if they're not going to treat me right, I'll just go over here and leave them alone. And I understand that. Yeah. Paul says that we need to be empowered by the Lord. Mm-hmm. We get empowered by the Lord when we wait, when we tie ourselves up in God. Paul says this is important because when, you're, when you do this, you will be able, he says, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, when the devil attacks you, I need you to think differently from how you might think of an attack. We like to say this is spiritual warfare, this passage. Um, I like to think of it a little differently. Here's the thing. When the devil attacks you, don't think hand-to-hand combat. Don't think a military strike. That's what your flesh does to you. Your flesh is pushing against you, and it's fighting against you. But when you think about the devil's attack, Think cyber attack. Think espionage. Think secret intelligence. Because the devil has tried and true methods for us that will work and that don't require him to violently attack us. But he's a master at killing us softly with lack of faith and doubt. You know, did God really say that? Am I really a child of God? Do those people really love me? Uh, Don't I deserve more in life? The word of God says I'm supposed to prosper. But look at my situation. Does God really care about me? The devil comes with questions that make you question God's characters. And quite often that can happen through relationships. The word schemes that he uses there, that Paul uses, is the same word that we use if you look at the word, you'd see it. It's the same word that we use called, uh, 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 we say methods. That's the word that's used there. The devil has methods. In fact, his name, devil, diabolos, means slanderer. But his trick is not to slander people just alone. It's, it's to malign God. It's to malign truth. It's to twist right thinking doing and being. And Paul says you have to be strong against him, this devil, this slanderer. So in order for you to be strong, you've got to draw strength from the Lord. And and here's what you've got to understand. You've got to understand that people are not your problem. People are not your problem. Listen to what he says. I'm not making this up. He says, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul says people are not your problem. Paul says your problems are from Satan and his schemes, his methods. And silence in the spirit. He'll say, say that later. Paul says, people are not your problem. And th- the truth be told, it's hard sometimes for me to see and you to see that people are not my problem. Yeah. No, no, no. She said that to me. Uh-huh. The, the devil ain't got, I don't know about the devil. I, I, I don't see him, but I, I see her. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no, no. I, I was at my job and they said this to me. No, that person did that to me. And we want to get back at that person. We want to do everything. These people slandered my name. They lied on me. And we want to get back at those people, not realizing that they're not even really the problem. Satan has schemes, and they've worked since the beginning of time. And you and I need to know, you need to think of it like this. Satan kind of runs an organized crime unit, an organized syndicate, if you will, The United Nations describes organized crime as a a continuing criminal enterprise that rationally works to profit from the illicit activities that are often in great public demand, like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Its continuing existence is maintained through corruption of public officials, like public officials in church, and the use of intimidation, threats, or force to protect its operations. And Satan and a third of the host of heaven are out to rationally deconstruct how you think about God through relationships. And they're out to rationally deconstruct how you think well of people by those whom you relate to. But if you're dressed for protection, you can live above his methods. If you're dressed for protection, you can live above his methods. So not only do you have to draw strength from the Lord, You need to draw, you need to dress for battle. Protect yourself in the armor of God, like the Lord. Not not only do you have to draw strength from the Lord, you need to dress for battle like the Lord. Now, look at what Paul says. He says, put on, in verse 11, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul also says, if you're going to find success in warding off the frustrations of relationships and the schemes of the devil, you need to dress like battle, in battle, like the Lord. And while many people might want to put you to mind and say that we're to dress like Roman soldiers, I can understand why they'd say that given the day that they were in. I believe Paul had something different in mind when he says this. When Paul says this, he's likely drawing to mind the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 14 through 17. Look at what Isaiah does say. Justice, verse 14, is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Look at what the Lord does. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Isaiah says that when the Lord saw justice, truth, righteousness, and uprightness lacking, he put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation on his head. Do you see that there? The armor of God that Paul is speaking of is the same armor that God has in Isaiah. Isaiah, And if the Lord himself suits up in battle against his enemies then the children of God need to follow their father's lead. I have in my my mind 
this picture of my eldest son, he just, he just left back to go to St. Louis. Uh, but I have in my mind this picture where he's in his pajamas uh, when he was about three years old. He's in, I don't know where that picture is, but he, he's in his pajamas. Uh, and in his pajamas, he's bright blue, this uh, baby blue pajamas with red dots on it and red, uh, some kind of uh, pictures on it. Uh, but he's standing in my work boots, my big brown work boots. He's trying to fit in my boots, right? Because he's trying to be like his daddy in that sense. Now, he's, since he's 23, so he ain't trying to be like me anymore, you know, <laughs> unfortunately. But, um, but, but he's trying to be like his daddy. He's trying to put on what I put on. Yeah. And, and that's the reality of what we must be doing in the Lord. We must, in fact, several times, a few times in the New Testament, Paul says it like this. He simply says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like that he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, because it helps me make the transition from the Old Testament, which talks, which talks, about, uh, which talks about the idea of, um, of, of um, uh, the armor in, in the ways where he's putting on the helmet of salvation and where he's putting on the breastplate of righteousness, but also talks about vengeance. I like that idea in the Old Testament because uh, when you transfer it over to the New Testament, you ask, where is vengeance? Paul doesn't say that. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say, though, put on vengeance. He doesn't say that, the, that, that we should be zealous. And the reason why we don't, he doesn't need to say that we should be vengeful is because Jesus Christ bore God's vengeance. Jesus had come by now. That is, as a Christian, I do put on my breastplate. I do put on my helmet for salvation, but I'm not doing that in a vengeful way. I don't have to be vengeful, neither about people I don't know or people who are in close proximity to me in relationship. I don't put on vengeance. And the, and the zeal of the Lord has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind... That when you dress for battles against Satan, you're dressing for protection. And this is what Ephesians is really about. He's not telling you go to war even. He's saying get yourself protected. Get yourself protected. You're already in the battle, but know that you don't have to actually fight the battle fully. The battle has been won. And so what you need to do is give you the one weapon, use the one weapon that he does give you. Everything else was a matter of protection. Yeah. Everything he gave them was a matter of protection. A breastplate of righteousness, a, a, a belt of truth, a, a breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. He only gives one offensive weapon. That is the word of God. Yeah. We can use the word of God because we know that it's in the word of God that God will have victory in our lives because he's teaching us and he's, and he's moving. The Bible says the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish what it sets out yeah. to do. We got a God who's given us enough in his weaponry. And I know we like to see this as spiritual warfare. That's fine. I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, you don't have to worry about the fight. The fight's been won. Yeah. The battle's been won. The battle was won when they put that nail in his hand. And then they put that nail in his other hand. The battle was won when they put that nail in his feet, the nails in, through his, his legs there. The battle was won when they pierced him in his side. And when they put that, that crown of thorns on his head. The battle has been won, friends, in Jesus Christ. And the blood, the blood has purified you. It's made you able now to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And have victory in your life. Yes. By the way, he does say, I just want to mention one thing about the belt of truth. He says about the belt of truth, and your Bible say belt of truth, and I understand that that, 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 that term uh, makes sense. That it, it, you know, the, 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 some of the older versions say um, you, you need to gird up your loins with truth. I, I prefer that version because it brings me to, it feels like it brings me closer to what I think Paul might have been getting at, right? So, so he says, Paul says, uh, you need, if you're going to be victorious uh, in these things, 
one of the things you're going to have to do uh, as you're dressing in battle like, for, like the Lord is you need to put on the belt of truth. You need to gird up your loins, though. Girding up your loins. Your loins would be those, that in, those inner parts, those very vital organs that you need to protect so that you don't get jabbed. Or in this case, he, put, he puts out, later you see him talk about arrows. You need to gird up your loins. But loins also had another meaning in the scriptures. That's very clear. It, it has to do with those procreative elements of your body. That is, you got vital organs, but some of your vital organs are about procreation. That's what the scholars show us, that, that, that Paul is not simply just saying protect yourself. He's saying protect yourself so that you would be able in some ways to produce disciples like yourself. That's the word he uses. I want you to know, my friend, uh, as you gird up your loins and as you walk in truth and as you walk in the gospel of peace and carry the shield of faith, when you're engaging other people, you're able to produce people like yourselves. And prayerfully, yourself is becoming more like Christ, as he talked about in Ephesians chapter four. And that's the beauty of this, right? Because he's not, he's not, Paul is not absent-mindedly considering uh, that you just need to do this for yourself. We talked about this in chapter 2 as well, that, that part of this has to do with you being with the community around you. Gird up your loins. He says that. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, by the way, what's beautiful about that is, is the, breast, the breastplate of righteousness. When we talk about putting on righteousness, I'm not putting on my righteousness myself. I'm putting on a righteousness like Paul talked about him, himself putting on a righteousness that's not really my own. I mean, I get to wear it, but it's not mine. It's his righteousness. And, and, and I think part of the challenge is, and the more we mature in Christ, you move away from this, is you somehow think that it's because of your righteousness that you somehow get to, get to buddy up with God. You are not right. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Yet, imparted to us is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I don't have to worry about how right I am. I know I'm not right. I have to know that God is right, yeah. and I become more like him every day. That's what sanctification is. Yeah. It's me being right with God. And when you're right with God, when he looks at you, when, you when, when you're right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, when he looks at you, he sees righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, put it on. The gospel of peace. We don't walk around with a gospel where we're trying to... Uh, make people believe what we believe. It's a peaceful gospel. Sometimes more peaceful than we would like, isn't it right? Uh, the truth is, sometimes it's more peaceful than we would like. We, we, look at, uh, we look at in our own uh, place here, we look at somebody like Dr. King who, who walked and he consist consistently did, uh, talked about nonviolence. Non and, 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 and these were teachings of Jesus. Now, he, he had some teachings from Gandhi as well um, on this, but, but Gandhi got it from Jesus. And there was something about the peace that Jesus had that he, it wouldn't allow him to fight back even. You, you would think he would, right? But as the song said, he would not come down from the cross just to save himself. He decided to die just to save me because he had a gospel, a good news of peace. And it tells us we can have that gospel of peace, That's, uh, that we ought to always be ready. Our feet need to be ready with the gospel of peace. Um, we need to have the heaven of salvation. We need the sword of the spirit. Let me move on. We need to finally, not only do we need to draw power from the Lord uh, or dress like the Lord, we need to drench our circumstances in prayer. Listen to what Paul says. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert 
with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Paul says one of the ways that you and I can keep our relationships and do them well is we need to make sure that when relationships, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, come up, but especially when they come up and they're, and they're challenging, when, when, when children are struggling with honoring their parents, when parents are struggling with the, not exasperating their children, when, when, when uh, husbands are, and wives are struggling with one another, when bosses and employees are struggling with one another, Paul says, boy, you need to pray. Yeah. Yeah. You need to pray. Anybody got a spouse, don't raise your hand, that they need to pray for? Don't raise your hand. From time to time, you know what I, I think my wife learned about me and I learned about her? from time to time, and I use our example um, here. One of the things we learned about was it's good that we get to pray because, um, because sometimes she knows that I'm probably going to be too stubborn and won't listen. But she knows if she prays, maybe God can get through to me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you, you're, you and your spouse, you and your child, you and your boss, you can't get, you can't, you can't, you it's not, it's, it's rationally not happening. Like, you, you, you see it clearly. Like, I know she wrong. I be knowing she wrong. I know she wrong. Any husband with me, y'all know you, you. All right, tell me afterwards. I know, tell me afterwards. Tell me afterwards. Because I know you, you need to pray for your wife, though. You know she wrong. Come on, husband, stand with me. I'm just joking. But there, it, it won't happen rationally. Paul says you need to step into the realm of the spirit. And, and what prayer is, people say prayer is a weapon. The way I see prayer, I don't see prayer as a weapon. Uh, what I see prayer as uh, is, is, um, is a walkie-talkie. I, I remember the, the Transformers scene where, where uh, uh, Tyrese Gibson's character, they were in the desert and this big scorpion thing comes out and he's destroying, he's shooting everybody, the, the scorpion thing's shooting everybody killing people, and, and then and these seven or eight soldiers are running around in the desert in this, found, finding this, they found this village, and they're trying to run away from this thing, but this thing is, is wreaking havoc on now the soldiers and the village, and the only help they had, I mean, they had weapons, they were doing their, their due diligence, they were fighting, they were, they were throwing their little grenades, they were shooting their bullets, but it wasn't helping, and, and the only thing they had left was they found some communication in the village because their walkie-talkie had broken down. And they got some communication in the village, and they were able to call back to headquarters. And they told headquarters, this is where we are. This is where we are right here. This is our position. We are north of the pink smoke. You need to hit the north of the pink smoke. And when they called north of the pink smoke, then headquarters was able to send protection, send a, 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 several bombs that they didn't have power to obtain. They had, a, they had planes and jets flying all around, hitting it. And then it still wasn't enough. And so, so Tyrese Gibson uh, character, he says, he says, listen, you need to use 105 shells. Now, I don't know what 105 shells are, but apparently they were bigger than whatever they was using. He said, you need to use 105 shells, bring the rain. And, and and hey, well, that was a pretty cool line, I thought. Uh, and, when he, and when they used the 105 shells, the thing had to flee. The thing had to flee. And I'm saying as Christians, there are moments where we are in place where we're doing everything we can do. We're, doing, we're fighting the fight as hard as we can fight it with the word of God. But sometimes you need to call for some 105 shells. Yeah. Uh, you need to tell the Lord, bring the rain. Bring the rain. Lord, I, need, I don't know how this is working out, but it's not working out like I need it to. I need you to bring the rain. And we got a God who we can call on. And what prayer is, is a, is a walkie-talkie. So it's not a weapon, but you can weaponize it. And you can bring it. So where, when, what you're doing when you pray is you're calling on the things in the Spirit to be brought through the portals of heaven in the earth. That's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see examples of this in the Old Testament. And I want to tell you, my friends, if we're going to win, if we're going to do well with the relationships we have, I'm out of time now. If we're going to, if we're going to do well with the relationships we have, 
We need to draw our strength from the Lord. I'm learning this as I, as I teach it to you, I, as I tell it to you. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you, can, you can ask me how I'm doing in a couple of weeks. You know, I'm, you need to draw our strength from the Lord. We need to dress in battle in, 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 in the Lord. And we need to drench our circumstances in prayer. One more thing, one more thing. Paul did say, after all of this, he says you need to pray with all supplication for the saints. So we need to be doing that for one another. When I talk about bring the rain, I can talk about it for me, but that's why you need to be in a connection group, a connect group. So you can call on them for somebody else. And they can call on them for you. Because sometimes we don't always know what to say. And sometimes even when we get all together, we don't know what to say. But thank God we got a Holy Spirit who when we don't know what to say with groanings that we cannot utter. He intercedes on our behalf. Praise God for our God. Draw strength from the Lord. Dress in battle like the Lord. And drench it all in prayer. Paul finally said, I'm in in prison here. I need you to pray for me. He said, I need you to pray for me because uh, I'm, I'm locked up here. And he doesn't pray for freedom. He said, you know, just pray that I can speak boldly. I, pro- I could proclaim the mystery of the Christ boldly. I wish we had time to go into that. But here's what he did say. He said, he said, uh, he says, he, he points out that he didn't ask for freedom. He didn't ask to be treated well. He asked that in the moments of his life that are very difficult for him right now, uh, would you pray that I still be able to proclaim his name? The challenge for us when relationships do get tough is we want to be quiet about Jesus. Uh, because, because truth be told, things are heavier than we think they ought to be. And, and we don't even know what to say about God because we don't even feel sometimes like he's with us in the moment. But I'm going to pray for you, and I ask you to pray for me, that just because the relationships around you are not going well, if ever that happens, you make sure you pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you that we continue Speak his name boldly so that others can experience the magnificent grace of God. Amen? Amen. Gracious Father, we ask you to let the word sink in our hearts and minds. Transform us in Jesus' name. Amen.